Um, I don't even remember it at my house, and no one really laughed. And I asked Micaiah, I'm like, why didn't you laugh? She's like, well, it wasn't really funny. So we went to a party, uh, a class party, and there were some adults around, and I told the same joke, and they all laughed. And I'm like, yeah, it must have been a dad joke, because <laughs> only, only other dads laugh at dad jokes, sometimes moms, because they're just used to, you know, trying to make their husbands feel better. So, so feel free to laugh or cry or do whatever, but we're in our series, uh, Killing Kryptonite, and it's, it's just crazy how, well, the Sunday school lesson from James chapter 4 and this Killing Kryptonite lesson really go well together, and today we're covering chapters 15 through 18 in the Killing Kryptonite book, and obviously I don't cover everything that's in the chapter, um, and so I encourage you, if you don't have a copy, there are some more available, you can pick one up. Um, I know that some have said, you know, it's just hard to get through all the chapters. Uh, here's the thing, if you can't get through all the chapters, just do what you can, and then go back and read it later. Okay, because there's a powerful message in this book that uh, is really prophetic, I believe, for the church right now uh, in America. And so as we've talked through this spiritual kryptonite that neutralizes the power of the believer, and of course he compares that to the same way that kryptonite neutralizes Superman's power. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the church in Corinth where many were weak and many were sick and many were dying because some of them were mistreating other believers. And so because they were not acting in the way that God wanted them to act, they were actually weak in their spiritual life. It doesn't have anything to do with whether or not they were saved or unsaved. It has everything to do with whether the glory or the power of God was able to come out of their lives, and it was weakening their faith. And so we've been talking about the danger of kryptonite, the contagious nature of kryptonite, and how it spreads through our bodies, just the way that sickness spreads through our natural bodies. Last week, uh, we looked at kryptonite and we defined it as idolatry idolatry and we know that idolatry is not just little statues that we bow down and worship idolatry in the scripture is compared to adultery in our relationships and we watched that short video last week Justin and Angela remember where she was married but she had all these boyfriends that joined them at dinner and she was 99% faithful to her husband 99% faithful. And so why wasn't that enough? And if, you, if you're interested in a marriage relationship where your spouse is only 99% faithful to you, talk to me after because we got some things to talk about. Um, and so in the same way, we looked at King Saul and the Amalekites and we understood that God's not looking for 99% of us. He's looking for trust. Because he's a good father who wants to give good gifts to us. And if you read the scripture and you think that God's saying, um, hey, I want you to do this, and you think that's a snake, it's not a snake. It's something good. You you, are you making the connection? When God says in his word, do this and not what your sinful desires want you to do, it's because he created us. He understands us. He knows us. He knows how we're wired. He knows how we work. He knows the end game. He's eternal. He sees the end from the beginning. And we have to trust that when we think what God is asking is actually bad, we have to trust that it is good. And we kind of left off with this scripture from 2 Timothy chapter 3 about the last days. Paul, writing to young Timothy as he's pastoring, says there's going to be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, 
boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Again, he's not describing the world. He's describing the church. He's describing this time in the last days where people are going to try to figure out how to have a form of godliness, serve God, but yet still get our covetous desires. I want to be able to serve God. I want to have this form of godliness, but I want to still get what I want, even though God said not to have it. And we've got to get that in line in our lives. We've got to get contentment. We talked about the difference between contentment, pursuing contentment, where we're satisfied with God, we're satisfied with what he says, we trust him, and not being covetous because we don't want what our own desires are. If my desires contradict his word, his word is better. And I've got to trust that and trust that it's for my good. We see how those words are tied together. Hebrews chapter 13, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with what you have. This isn't just about materialism, okay? This is about your position. It's about your status. Because you can start looking and thinking, you know, I'm more qualified than that person. Why am I not been promoted at work? I'm more qualified than that person. I could sit up there and, and teach better than Pastor Tom does. You're not content with where God has put you or where he says. Because here's the thing. God sees you wherever you are. The only person you need to catch the eye of is God. At work, you don't have to try to manipulate things and make sure the boss sees you. You just have to make sure you're faithful to God and God knows where you live. And if you have not yet been promoted, it's in his hands. He's the one that raises up and he's the one that brings low. So this isn't just about material possessions. It's about our status. It's about our place in life. It's about our spouse. Well, if I had a spouse like that one instead of the one I got, It'd be easier to serve God. Okay, so it's easy to trick ourselves and think I'm not covetous because I don't want a new car or a new house or new this or new that. It's not just about materialism. It can be about materialism, but it's not just about materialism. So when we start to give in to these sinful desires where we're, we're jealous of others, where we're jealous of someone else's position or someone else's lot in life, what happens is the sinful nature within us is strengthened. When you sin, you become a slave to sin. It strengthens the power of sin in our lives. That's why we become weak spiritually. Does that make sense? So when we agree with sin, when we do it, we, we strengthen the spiritual man and what James has told us to do is humble yourself. When you recognize you're sinning, you humble yourself. You come before God. You guys are awesome. Um, you humble yourself before God and you recognize that you've broken his law. That's what you do. You say, God, I've sinned. It's not my spouse's fault. It's not my wife's fault. It's not my dog's fault. It's not anyone's fault. I lived this yesterday morning. This was in my notes. Ah! 
And yesterday morning, I'm sitting in home, and I'm trying to read and drink a cup of coffee, and the neighbors are having a rummage sale. Well, if you have a dog, and you know and your neighbors are having a rummage sale, it's a nightmare. Because it's like everyone's pulling up, and he's barking, and I just kept getting so angry. And I was just, and it's not the dog. It's not my neighbors. That anger is all about me, because I'm not content. I don't get to sit and do what I want to do. So it's righteous anger. I'm trying to read the Bible. Are you with? You see how easy it is to blame someone else instead of just saying, God, you know, this anger that's just come popping up out of me, wow, I don't, I don't want it. It's not your nature. It's not your character. And so I need you to get it out of me. I mean, you can go forever blaming Democrats, Republicans. You know, you can blame whoever you want to blame for your anger or you can come before God and humble yourself. And you know what he gives? He gives buckets of grace to overcome it. And so that's what James is trying to get us to do and trying to acknowledge that it's all about our behaviors. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says this, I am not sorry I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. You know, the John Bevere does a teaching that goes with this book, and over and over in the teaching, he tells the story about how so many times as he was writing this book, he wanted to quit because he was like, it's such a harsh word. It's such a word that, like, you know, people are going to feel so condemned or dirty, and he's just like, I just can't write it. And he tells the illustration about a man who goes to the doctor, and the doctor finds a tumor the size of a, a marble in his body and says, you know, I don't want to... I don't want to tell this guy that I got to cut him open, cause him pain, and take that tumor out. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to make him upset. So he goes back in. He's like, you know, you're going to be fine. You just, you know, just keep eating right, a lot of vitamin C, try to get in the sun, exercise. He said, what's going to happen is that tumor is going to continue to grow. And so the doctor's not afraid to come in and tell you, hey, I got to cut you open. But guess what? It's going to be better for you when I do because I'm going to take that thing out, and it's going to, it's going to heal, and you're going to be good. You're going to live a longer life. And it's the same way with a message like this. Paul says, I'm not afraid to write. I know this is hurts. I know it digs. But here's the thing. If you let God cut that stuff out that he already knows is there, if you start letting him cut that stuff out, you're actually going to find that you have spiritual life. And what you've been thinking because, well, maybe God doesn't move the way that he used to in the, the olden days. Or, you know, you know, because of something in my life, if you just start confessing it, admitting it, humble yourself before God, you're going to see spiritual vitality begin to grow in your life. And so Paul says, I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. See, God wants us to be sorry. Okay? He doesn't want you to come to church every week and hear, you know, God loves you, he's good, and he's great, and you know, you just keep living the way you're living, just keep having sex outside of marriage, just keep lying to people, cheating on your taxes, manipulating things, you just keep that up, because grace, that's a, that's a lie. God has given us grace, he's given us the spirit, he's given us power to overcome those things. And there is a sorrow that comes, that leads us to repent and change our ways. But there's another kind of sorrow. The worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. 
You know, you can just walk around, well, I'm no good for anything. Yep, pastor hit it right on the head again today. I'm just a terrible wretch and I'm just going to be like this. Or you can repent and receive grace. Because what we have to understand, Paul wrestles with this in Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. He says this, I've discovered this principle of life, that when I, when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what's wrong. Ever felt like that? I mean, Paul, Apostle Paul, third heaven, visions, healing, handkerchiefs laid on people, they were healed, says this. Okay, I want to do what's right, and the more I desire to do what's right, it's like the more I end up doing what's wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. What a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, if you were reading a chapter a day in the Bible and you come to the end of Romans chapter 7, you would have ended with, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Period. And then you wander around all day thinking, oh, what a miserable person I am. Paul hit that right on the head. But if you read verse 1, you realize there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So when you come before God and you acknowledge your sin, your position before God is based upon what Christ did, not what you do. Okay? Does that make sense? But that doesn't mean I should live however I want and expect this false grace to just cover it up. No, there's an expectation. I've been brought into the family of God. I am a, a son, a daughter of God, and I am to live like him. I'm to represent him. I'm to display his character, his nature. I'm to do good things so that I glorify my Father in heaven. And when I fall short of that, I go right to him and I say, God, I need sorrow over this. I can't act like this. I can't let outbursts of anger keep coming out of me. Slander, gossip, backbiting, the homosexuality, sexual immorality, lust, greed, all of these things. I can't just say it's okay, but we can't let it become an overwhelming sorrow because there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but there is conviction that brings a sorrow that leads to repentance. By the way, repentance, if you forgot, is to turn and so we're not talking about crying at an altar repentance. We're talking about changing the way I live repentance. I, I want to start doing what he said. This book, when I first read it, one of the dangers that came to my mind was that this is kind of, it, it kind of lends itself to become legalistic. You know what I mean? Where we start watching our behavior and we got to like, you know, I got to do... Again, your behavior does not change your position in Christ. Your position in Christ is based on what he did, not what you do. But the nature of God that we are to reflect to others is based on what I do with what he has put in me. He has put his spirit in me. I can forgive those that have hurt me. I can do good to those who hate me. I can love my enemies. If you only love those who love you, what good is that? The world does that. 
There are people that are so steeped in sin, writing checks to give to poor people all over the world, to get water to people. They're doing good things. Everybody does it. But they're not doing good things to those who hate them. What are they doing? They're repaying evil for evil. So if you want to prove you're a child of God, do good to those who hate you. I'm reading a book by Mark Batterson that challenged us not just to act like Christians, but react like Christians. Anybody can act like a Christian. But the truth of how much God's word has taken root in us is how we react. And when we react wrongly, the time between the reaction and the repentance. Does that make sense? Okay. So as Christians, when we engage in idolatry, when we disregard what God has clearly revolved in Scripture, it strengthens our sinful nature. And the Scripture says sin desires us. Sin wants to control us. It wants us to, to give our strength over to it. And the Bible over and over warns us, be aware of the deceptive nature of sin. Here's the thing. Listen. If you don't listen to anything else I say today, wake up your neighbor, listen to this, and write it down. Be aware. Everyone in this room, no matter how long you've been saved or how many times you go to church or how much you fast or how many times you've read through the Bible, sin is deceptive in nature, and every one of us can be deceived by it. Present tense. Continue going to church together, worshiping the Lord together so you will encourage each other and warn each other as long as it is today because sin is deceptive. And just because you're not smoking and drinking and swearing and sleeping around does not mean sin is not at your door. It, it creeps into our lives and it desires to control us. And it may not drag you to hell. It may because if we deliberately keep on sinning, there's no sacrifice that remains for that. There is a way that you can just continue to walk away from the Lord. But it will weaken us spiritually. And we want to see the glory of God revealed in this city because there are people that need it. Amen? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul again warning Timothy, a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching, but follow, look at this, they'll follow, again, that word, they're covetous, their own desires. I don't want you to tell me what I'm doing wrong. I don't want you to tell me that I have selfish desires within me. But here's the thing, your position isn't changed. So don't leave here being like, well, I'm a terrible person. Your position is a son or daughter of God, and you've been given the power to live like it. And God just wants to come and cut away some of those tumors inside of us that are growing up and weakening our spiritual life. The knockoff Jesus. How do we get, I mean, some of you might be like, what in the world is this knockoff Jesus thing? <laughs> How do we get there? If we do not get to the place where it is our delight to obey God, if for you and I, obeying God is just a duty, it's like, you know, well, someone invites you, hey, you want to go get plastered with me and you want to go get drunk and just, you know, wasted? Let's just go do it. And your response to that is, I can't because the Bible says do not be drunk. 
then, then what you're saying is, it's my duty to obey God. But if your response is, I won't, because I want to please my Father in heaven, and I know that his way's best, and he's pointed out that's not a good way to walk, and I trust him, then it's your delight. And for many of us, we go to church, and it's our duty. And you know why? When it's your duty, that's legalism. And those are some of the f- most frustrated angry people on the planet. In fact, if you're a good churchgoer and outbursts of anger, see, I'm starting to reveal some stuff, and now all of you are going to know my stuff. If outbursts of anger is a problem for you, check with legalism first. Check with legalism first. And not just in your own life, but how you expect everyone else to live too. Everyone else needs to come up to this standard that you have set for them. Okay, that's a, that's a good connection for us right there. And so if we start making obeying God our delight and not our duty, then our covetous desires begin to be weakened. But if it's just my duty, those covetous desires are not going to go away. Now, I understand we have to discipline ourselves, and sometimes I have to do what's right, even though my flesh wants to do this over here. But the more you do that, the more you train yourself in godliness, in the way you train yourself in contentment, as the scriptures say, the more it becomes your delight. And that's what we strive for. It's not this hopeless life, I just gotta, you know, I'm just gonna cling and hold on till Jesus comes. No, I'm pursuing it to be my delight. That's where I'm going. And I know along the way there are days I just gotta cling, and sometimes I have to call someone else and say, hey, my selfish desires are way out of bounds today. Would you pray for me? When's the last time you asked someone that? (laughs) When's the last time someone walked up to you and said, hey, how's it going? And your reply was, man, my selfish desires are way out of bounds. Would you pray for me? Instead of, good. That's fellowship. Fellowship is not a potluck. It's when you and I are honest enough when someone says, how's it going, to say how it's going. And not be afraid that my position is the same. But I, I recognize selfish desires are way out of bounds. Or how's it going? Well, it was going good till I went to Walmart. Have you ever been there? Man, those checkers, I tell you. Do they even train these people? Sorry if I'm being a little too real today. But one of my prayers was today that we start making a connection. (laughs) Because the Bible warns so often about the deceptive nature of sin and all of these things. And yet we all go to church week after week thinking, that's probably not us. I'm going to start going, man, Lord, is that me? Like, I don't want to live overwhelmed with guilt and condemnation, but I don't want to live in pretense that thinks, well, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I don't want to do pretty good. I want the glory of God to be on display in my life. I want people to take from me and have me say, oh, no, you can't take from me. Take more than you were going to take. That's what Jesus taught. That's when we know that the word of God has really taken root in our lives. He goes through in the book, there's a section that I'd encourage you to read where he really processes through these covetous desires where if you continue to ask God for something that he said no to, eventually he'll give you what you were asking for, even though he knows it's not good for you. And there are four things that he goes through in the book where Balaam, the prophet, where Israel, remember they wanted meat and they, and God's like, I I gave you manna. Manna is what you need. We want meat. We want meat. Let's go back to Egypt. We had meat. (laughs) 
Does anyone understand how stupid that is? <laughs> you were in slavery. I hear like the VeggieTales version of that. But we were in slavery. Why would we want to go back to Egypt? That's the, that's the deceitfulness of sin. Do you understand? Where we actually think it's better to go back to slavery because I want meat. And so God actually gave it to them, even though they, he told them, no, 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 no. And they kept asking. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Keep on asking. But if you ask with wrong motives, then you're going to get it. And that meat killed them. It killed thousands of them. God will give you what you ask for if you don't get your covetous desires under control. If God says in his word, this is wrong, this is against my nature and character, and you keep saying, well, God, you know, I think maybe you've changed. I think maybe you're more open. Could, you, could I just, you know, this is really what's, I really want this. I really want this promotion. I really want this job. I really want that position. God will let you have it, but it will not bring the fulfillment that you hoped it would. And sometimes it'll actually lead to even more spiritual weakness. Yeah, so he gives those stories. I don't have time to cover them. They're in the book. I'd encourage you to read them. The last one I want to talk about, this knockoff Jesus. If we don't get our covetous desires under control, this is what happens. He uses the story from Exodus chapter 19, where God brings the people of Israel right to the mountain. This is God speaking to the people. Okay, He says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. That was what he wanted for them. I brought you out of Egypt, and I wanted, I wanted to bring you to myself. And he goes on, and he begins to talk about what he wanted. He wanted a kingdom of priests, a nation of priests, a people that would reflect him to the people around them so that all the nations of the world would be drawn to him. Now, how many of you know that never happened in the Old Covenant? But it was an inferior covenant. It was impossible. I know that just, I don't have time to go into how that just doesn't make sense in our brain. Why would God ask him to do something that was impossible? And blah, 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 to show us the futility of what, trying to do it in our own strength. But the new covenant, because of the blood of Jesus Christ and the spirit of God that lives in us, it is now possible. It is now possible to reflect the glory of God. But we've been lied to that it's not possible. We've been lied to that, you know, I'm always going to wrestle with this problem, this habit. This is my thorn in the flesh. This is, you know, I'm German, so I'm always going to be a little hot-headed. Fooey, you're not German. You were bought with a price, and you are now a kingdom of heaven, citizen of heaven. You're not German. You're heavenly, heaven, heavener. I don't know what you are, but you're a citizen of heaven. And so the people draw back. They don't want to go... We don't, don't let God speak to us. We're afraid we're going to die if he keeps speaking to us. But Moses, this is so funny. Moses, you go speak to him. They're afraid hearing God is going to kill them, but they're not afraid to send Moses. <laughs> Moses, you go, and if you come back, we'll be like, okay. And Moses, you just tell us what God said, and we'll do it. Never going to happen. And so a few chapters later, in Exodus 32, the people saw it was taking Moses a long time to come back down. So they gathered around Aaron and Aaron said, they said, Aaron, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to Moses. He brought us up here from the land of Egypt. Who brought you up here? Funny how just a few chapters later, the, the, the voice of God that they heard who said, I brought you. Moses brought us. 
So Aaron took all their gold, melted it down, molded a calf, molded it into the shape of a calf, which later he says, I don't know what happened, Moses. We just put the gold in the fire and it, out came this calf. The deceitful nature of sin. So when the people saw it, they said, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, all of this time, the word God here is the Hebrew word Elohim. The word Elohim, when it's in the Old Testament, means God Almighty, but it also can mean other gods, like Dagon and Baal and some of them. They were referred to as Elohim. So Elohim is just kind of a, a common name for God, and you've got to look at the context. So we don't, I mean, maybe they're just saying, hey, these are the gods, the you know, false gods that led us out of Egypt. But then look at what Aaron says. He saw how excited the people were, and he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to Jehovah to Yahweh, to the Lord. Nowhere in the Old Testament is the word Yahweh attributed to any other God. So what they have done is they said, here's Yahweh, he's a calf. And if we don't get our covetous desires in check, we'll still go to church. We'll still sing songs. We'll still read our Bibles. We'll still pray but we'll have a knockoff Jesus who will give us what our covetous desires are. And that's why in the last days there'll be terrible times where people will be lovers of money, where people will be disobedient to parents, where people will be lovers of pleasure. There'll be a form of godliness, but will deny the power of God to set us free. In the Old Testament, in Amos, this is God to speaking to his people. I hate, don't say hate. How many of you have ever heard that? God said it. So don't blame me, blame Amos, blame God. I hate all your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and your grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. See, the people were really good at going through the motions of the sacrifices, the festivals, but they weren't living out what God had asked them to live out. He says it in Isaiah. The people say, God, we fasted before you. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves. And you don't even notice. And God says this. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. You're fasting to please yourselves. It's all about you. Sing it with me. It's all about me, Jesus. And all this is for me, for my glory and my fame. It's not about you, as if I should do things your way. And that's the pandemic that's going to come on the church in the last days that Paul warns about. Where we'll, we're okay going to church and singing hymns and fasting and praying, going through the motions. But look at what he says. This is what I'd rather you do. I want you to free those who are wrongly in prison. I want the, you to lighten the burden of those who work for you. I want the oppressed to go free. I want you to remove the chains that bind people. I want you to share your food with the hungry. I want you to give shelter to the homeless and give clothes to those who need them. I don't want you to hide from your relatives who need your help. Oh, but Pastor Tom, you don't know my relatives. They just take advantage of you. 
So I hide from them. The phone rings, caller ID. But yet, I've convinced myself that God is pleased with me because I fast and pray. See, I told you this is not a fun... John Bevere... Actually, it's not his fault. God. But there's a tumor growing on the inside of us. Do you see it? Do you see it? Where we think it's okay to to disregard people because they're evil people, even though the Scripture clearly says, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who persecute you, and then you'll be acting like your Father in heaven. The last part of that passage says, then, after you do this, you will call and I will answer, I am here. I am here. Just remove the yoke of oppression. Stop pointing fingers. Stop spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry. Help those in trouble. Let your light shine out from darkness. And the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. I don't care what laws are passed. I don't care how sexually immoral our perverse culture is becoming. Because if the glory of God begins to shine out of us, there is no darkness that can overwhelm it. That's the glory of God. And this is why he's saying we got to cut these things out of our lives because what they're doing is they're keeping the glory of God from just shining out of our lives. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities, and you will be known as rebuilders of walls and restorers of homes. Now, if God wanted this in the old covenant, how much more in a superior covenant is that the possibility? And so we've got to deal with the covetous desires that are in our hearts. And so I hope, I hope the message of this book hurts. I really do. All of us. I hope it hurts us. In fact, if it doesn't hurt you, I would check for a spiritual pulse. I'll be that bold. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And there is no way any of us in this room are to the place where he's done disciplining us so that his glory is revealed more in our lives. So this book ought to just cut us somewhere. And so today, as we, we're going to come to the end of the service, and I'm going to just give you time to say, Holy Spirit, what are you cutting away? What are those things that you're bringing to the surface that you want me to deal with? I'm, I, I'm asking today for the Holy Spirit to give us that godly sorrow that leads us to repentance. And so I I want you, I just want you to close your eyes right where you're sitting. We're not going to stand today. We're just going to sit. And when I close in prayer, I'm still going to ask the prayer team to come to the front. Unless, if you're a prayer team member and you need to sit where you are for just a minute, just sit where you are. But if you need someone to pray with you, we want to make ourselves available to that. But some of you are going to feel like you need to come to this altar. Nothing special about this altar, but in some, some ways it's like I'm just going to bring this piece of flesh to the altar. I'm going to lay it down, and I'm going to let God just burn it up. And sometimes you just need to, to step out. You need to move locations to see that happen. So all I'm asking right now is to say, Holy Spirit, 
Show us those covetous desires that, are, that, that we've been excusing or rationalizing or just not dealing with. Someone just today told me a story about how God just revealed something to them yesterday that they had never seen before. And it was, it was a sin. It was an error. It was something that had to just come out of their lives. And when people share stuff like that, I just start jumping up and down on the inside. Because that's a sign that you're trying to get closer. When God starts revealing hidden things that you've been trying, that you weren't even aware of, man, that is a good sign. When he starts taking you to the woodshed, he's so gentle. He's so gentle. He doesn't do it harsh. I know our picture of the old-time Pentecostal God taking us to the woodshed, he's not like that. He is a good father. He's like a skilled surgeon. He's going to take the minimal amount of cuts, and it's going to hurt, but he wants to bring it out. He wants to draw it out. And so I'm going to pray over you, and then I'm going to dismiss the service. And some of you, I know your schedule, you need to leave, and I understand that. But if you can linger for just a moment, and just allow the Holy Spirit to bring those things to the surface and repent of them. Allow him to bring a literal godly sorrow to lead you to repentance. You may cry, you may not cry, but let him produce in us that godly sorrow. Bailey, if you can just play some music in the background. And I'm going to pray that prayer over you. And then we're just going to let the Holy Spirit have a work. And when you need to be dismissed, just do it quietly. Go ahead and be dismissed when you need to. But let those that want to just spend a few more moments in prayer just spend that time in this room. Father, I just thank you today that you are a good father. You are a good, good father. God, I'm so grateful that when we were your foes, you fought for us. And how much more will you fight for us now? Will you fight for the full display of your glory in our lives? And so I thank you for the godly sorrow that you bring. And Holy Spirit, I pray across this room today for a godly sorrow to begin to grip our hearts for the covetous desires that are at work in us. The things that we've excused, the things that we've rationalized, the things we've ignored, the things that we've even been unaware of. As you bring them to the surface today, Holy Spirit, give us grace to humble ourselves before you so that you can give us even more grace. We can't humble ourselves without your grace. God, I pray that not one person in this room would be overcome by sorrow, by guilt, by shame, and by condemnation today. I reject the lies of the enemy that would bring accusation upon anyone in this room. Jesus, thank you for ever being our advocate before the Father. 
produce in us that godly sorrow that leads us to repentance so that our lives would reflect the glory of the Lord more and more, that others would be drawn to that light and that the darkness in this city, in this nation, would be pushed back by the light of the glory of God that rises on our lives. May your words come to pass in us as a church. Now, Father, I pray your blessing over this body today. God, I thank you for this body. Thank you for the privilege you've given me to be their pastor. God, I just pray your blessing over them that you would bless them and keep them, that you would cause your face to shine on them. God, that you'd lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace. Overwhelm them with your grace today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. when you need to be dismissed, just do it quietly. If you want prayer, our prayer team will be here in the front. We'd love the opportunity to pray with you. But uh, if you need to go, God bless you as you go today.